You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. And I were... As Aaron and I were chatting about as we got started, it feels very similar <laughs> if you were uh, with us. I think all of you were, at least at different times, um, during the Zoom days of the pandemic when we were only meeting online. It's kind of bringing back weird memories. Part of that, uh, I will say, is a reminder for communion, uh, we will just use whatever elements you have around you. Um, so if you want to take a moment, uh, take a minute and grab something, uh, you can do that now. Uh, if you haven't heard me say it before, we treat communion uh, in a way that is um, obviously symbolic, but in a way that connects us through the act of of taking in bread and wine, uh, quote unquote, we don't even use real bread or real wine at church, right? But those are the terms, that's the symbolism um, from the communion story. Uh, but it's an act of us um, taking that together, sharing a meal together, a portion of a meal together, and actually embodying um, Christ and embodying the way of Christ and becoming uh, Christ in the world. That's kind of why we do it. It's a reminder we do every week. Um, so whatever we talk about, music we do and the prayers we pray and stuff, we have that sort of centering um, act and symbol that we remind ourselves each week. So again, if you're just jumping on, feel free to grab uh, something we'll use for communion in just a couple minutes. Um, and uh, we'll go ahead and, and continue with the service. To get us started, um, I'm gonna read us a prayer. It's an excerpt from uh, a writing called Full Circle by Howard Shapiro. Um, and it is a prayer of love and healing for the earth. <clears throat> Um, so, uh, especially on a day like today and in a week, uh, and month, like we're in, you know, I think any of us who've been reading any sort of headlines have seen just the, um, story after story, whether it's, um, the terrible fires in Maui, um, or the flooding that's already happening south of us and is happening here and the terrible fires that are up in Canada and, uh, everywhere we look. Um, it is um, story after story of climate emergency. Um, and I know that that has been talked about now for decades um, and politicized for decades. Um, but what I think is really important for us to always remind ourselves of is the people most uh, directly affected are usually um, what we would say is the least of these, right? People without the resources um, to, to move out of harm's way, without the resources to protect them and their family, without the resources to build, um, you know, strong enough uh, preventative measures, um, without the resources to have a supply of food and water that will last them. So when we think about the climate change catastrophe, when we think about all these disasters, um, I, I hope that we always remember, too, the people the actual human beings, right, um, that are affected um, by by us continuing um, to push our cycles uh, of climate and weather um, on the earth out of out of whack. And um, so, 
That's a preamble for you. So I invite you now to pray with me. Again, this is from Full Circle by Howard Shapiro. Uh, it's called A Prayer of Love and Healing for the Earth. Let's pray. O God of all names and beyond all names, I pray in great gratitude this holy day for love. Love raises the sun and greets me in each drop of water I drink, in each crumb of bread I taste, in each smile and tear I touch, in each child I meet, in a mantle of awe I stand enwrapped. My feet rest upon earth and my head meets the moon, O Holy One. Our times are fraught with challenge. Our earth suffers climactic chaos. Men, women, and children suffer from wounds of conflict, droughts, floods, and crumbling economic systems. All manner of suffering and questions press into our souls. Our small beating hearts do not seem large enough. Yet daily they keep expanding beyond body boundaries into compassion. Each morning, love rises beyond a known horizon in the unknown day. Each morning, hope beckons me into my stardust destiny. Each noontime, grace feeds me with love. Each evening, an, invis an invisible breath enfolds me in a shawl of mercy. O Holy One, who is love, hope, grace, and breath, transform our sadness and doubt into songs of life. We pray for our beloved planet and all brothers and sisters. May healing waters bathe the rivers and oceans. May small deliberate actions grow seeds of earth justice. May one prophetic note of the smallest bird song courageously sung on a busy street at dawn inspire leaders to free their voices to speak for the common good and for future generations. O God of all names and beyond all names, whose face is love, may I and we collectively be the face of transforming love in this moment, in this day, and in these times. Amen. We will turn now to communion. Um, if you did not hear me say before, we will just use the um, elements around us that we have on hand in our homes. Um, so if you will take them with me, uh, and we used to do a thing too <laughs> during the pandemic and talk about what we have. I have a Cheez-It, which is never uh, absent from our house because I live with three Cheez-It monsters and some iced coffee. Um, so that will be my communion today. Um, but I invite you to take them and hear these words as we take it. <clears throat> Divine protector, defender of life, your love for this world is everlasting. As oceans burn and species go extinct, our children are made vulnerable and our neighbors denied at our borders. There's so much reason to despair, but you, O oh God, refuse to abandon us to destruction. Christ takes on flesh in the midst of struggle. You are glimpses of hope, encounters of freedom, tastes of what satisfies when so much leaves empty. In these incarnate moments, we sense your closeness of your kingdom. 
On the night of his arrest, Jesus shared a meal with his companions. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup, blessed it and shared it, saying, this cup that is poured out is the new covenant. In remembrance of the love that saves us, we together proclaim the mystery of our faith, Christ was birthed among us. Christ was executed among us. Christ rises again among us. May we be nourished that we might nourish others. I invite you to take your elements. Beloved one, if we grow weary in love, May this meal live on as a reminder of what sustains us in seeking the flourishing you intend for us, our neighbors on this planet. Keep our hearts tender, our spirits alive, and our senses attuned to the beauty that surrounds. With gratitude for your abiding presence, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Max. Um, and I just I think I just made you co-host so that you can let people in if they show up while I do my thing here. Um, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this um, Zoom session. Reminds us of the uh, the years of 2020 and 2021, right? So we're in the middle of a of a teaching series and discussion about the major myths or major stories found in the Bible, the stories that really define the text and the Jewish and Christian faiths, respectively, both. I had a talk all prepared this Sunday on the Exodus story, but it occurred to me yesterday that I wish I had saved my talk from last week about Noah's Ark and the flood myth, you know, for today, because it seems so much more, <laughs> more appropriate for uh for for this uh for this sunday with with tropical storm hillary upon us right so i want to revisit that story a bit here this morning because there is so much more to talk about uh and then next week we'll talk about the exodus story which is a longer presentation anyway <clears throat> and today i wanted to um, kind of keep it keep it short um and the thing i want to revisit about the noah and the flood story is God's words after the flood. In chapter 8, verse 21 of, of Genesis, <clears throat> God says to himself, we're told, he, God says in his own heart, never again will I destroy every, every living creature as I have done, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from birth, end quote. In other words, God is like, I realize now that genocide is pointless. I really didn't accomplish anything because humanity is is wicked and evil from birth and will just piss me off again one day soon. And what am I going to do? Fly into a fit of rage every time this happens and wipe everything out and start over, you know, hoping things will be better next time, right? Or different. No, you know, that's pointless. So so killing everybody was a mistake, God says to himself, right? This is terrible, of course, right? It's bad enough that we're told you know, God kills every man, woman, child, and animal in the world, except for Noah, his family, and the animals on the ark. 
But then we're told God is like, eh, it was all pointless in the first place. I made a huge mistake, right? I didn't accomplish anything. I didn't purge evil from the world. Humanity is, you know, just, well, just sin and anger me again. Oh, well, at least I tried. Yeah, this is, this is, this is kind of what God says here, um, which, you know, I have numerous thoughts about, uh, the first of which was, you know, so much for the God who supposedly never makes mistakes, right? God actually admits of making a huge mistake here, right? Genocide. Not a, not a little, not a little mistake. You know, I, I killed everything in the world, yeah, but it was, it was a complete mistake, right? But, but this, this, uh, th you know, th this is the God we find here in this story. I mean, this is terrible, right? And again, this depiction of God in Genesis stands in stark contrast to the God found revealed in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. This 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 Jesus that we find in the canonical gospels, the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, can you imagine Jesus calling down fire or floodwaters from heaven to wipe out his enemies, right? to say nothing of innocent children as collateral damage? Right? Can you imagine the same Jesus doing this who said things like, love your enemies. Don't return insult for insult. Don't return evil for evil. If someone does something against you or offends you, you don't offend them back, much less kill them, right? This is the Jesus, this is the God that we find in Jesus. This is the same Jesus who, even when those nasty Roman soldiers were crucifying him, even then, we're told, he prayed for them and forgave them. I mean, this is an astonishing contrast to this vindictive, violent, capricious, brutal, um, rage-filled God that we find in, in Genesis. So let's be clear, the God revealed in Jesus of Nazareth is quite different than the God revealed in the Genesis flood story. And, and that's okay. I'm totally comfortable with that. And I want us, you know, as a community to be to be comfortable with that disparity. The Bible is complex, we believe. Uh, and, you know, I believe the Bible is imperfect. The Bible is a work of human hands, right? It is, it is a, a work of, of humanity doing their best to understand God and what it meant to be his people at the day and time in which they lived. And they didn't, the ancients didn't get it always right, and neither do we. You know, we're not really much better in that regard. We don't get God right all the time, right? That's the human story with God. But the point is, we get to choose. This is, this is kind of the underlying point here. We get to choose what God we want to believe in. And the God we believe in says a lot about us, right? If we believe in this harsh, vindictive, and violent God, we're probably going to be kind of harsh, vindictive, and violent ourselves. But if we believe in a God of love and justice, then, you know, obviously we're going to probably be more that way too. And this to me is, you know, the big lesson of Noah's Ark for us. As I said last week, the story is based on earlier Mesopotamian flood myths that are themselves probably based on a very real-world flood event that took place in and around the Black Sea like 9,000 years ago when the last glaciers were still melting from the Ice Age. The various flood myths from ancient Mesopotamia were therefore created as ways of understanding, coping with, and assigning meaning to this cataclysmic event. This is a very human tendency 
and, and reaction. When, when we are confronted with profound or frightening events, we often look for reasons why they happen, right? That's a natural thing we do. We're, we're problem solvers, right? I mean, that's just how our brains work. We generally hate the idea that terrible things happen for no reason simply because of nature, simply because of time and chance and, and pure randomness. You know, what we often fear more than the terrible events themselves is the idea that we are utterly vulnerable and, and exposed to time and chance and, and the inexplicable uh, and the forces of nature like we are today. Right. It's often the case that we'd rather believe that there is a deity on high punishings for our sins with a with a flood or a hurricane or or an earthquake, a, a pandemic, whatever. Right. We'd rather believe that's happening than confront the fact that nature is inherently chaotic and we are exposed to this. Uh, and there is no God controlling everything. Right? That's that's terrifying to us, I think even more terrifying than a capricious and brutal deity who drowns innocent people in a flood. Right? People would rather believe in a God like that than believe no one's in control and that we are at the mercy of the elements. And so we invent gods as a species, traditionally speaking, both in modern times and in ancient. We, we invent gods and myths to cope with these problems. We, we do it to explain the world and to, to provide ourselves with some psychological relief from the chaos that is often nature. And I think in a very broad sense, that's what the story of Noah's Ark is about and what the other Mesopotamian deluge myths uh, were created for too. But again, as I said earlier, the, the story of Jesus really stands in, in stark contrast with that story in more ways than one. And, and so I think the Bible can be understood, uh, and this is how I like to view it, I think the Bible can be seen as an invitation, an invitation to choose your God wisely. <laughs> uh, it can be understood as an invitation uh, or, or an open question. What kind of God should we believe in? What kind of God you know, is, is uh, worth believing in? I want to share a little story with you, personal story. Last summer, when Lucy was just five years old, we were in the car together, just the two of us, going to the grocery store. When she asks me out of the blue, Dad, is God dead or alive? <laughs> I've been oh. I've been waiting for this moment, right? But I admit I was unprepared. We've never talked about God really at that point, at least not on that level, like ontology you know, God's, the nature of God's existence and being, right? So I answer her, I, I don't know. What do you think? Is God dead or alive? And she responds, I think he's dead because he oh. lived a long time ago. I, I laughed and I said, that's an interesting answer. And some agree with you, but, but again, nobody really knows for sure. And she, she uh, responds kind of excitedly, well, we should ask an expert. Well, and, and I replied to her, well, even the experts don't know for sure, but I think they would say God means different things to different people. And if you want God to be real for you, God can be. After a few moments, she, she thinks about that for a moment or two. And then she comes back to me and says, I think God is the wind and, and nature. I respond, wow, uh, that's that's a really great view. Where did you come up with that? 
she says to me, I don't know. It just makes sense to me that God is the wind and nature. Um, and and it's I just was stunned by this conversation and, and her thoughts. And this was the first real, you know, God conversation she and I ever had. And uh, what amazed me most about it was her ability to imagine God non-theistically at the age of five. In other words, even at the age of five, she was able to think about God not as a being or an object like us. You're right. She, she wasn't thinking of God as like an old man in the sky, uh, which is kind of like the traditional theistic conception. But rather, she was thinking of God as this pervasive presence, this power or this energy that undergirds or courses through everything. The technical term for what she was saying is uh, pantheism or panentheism, which means God is all or all is God or all is inside of God or God is in everything. And because she said this, it made me wonder if this you know, pantheistic, mystical idea of God is just intuitive. Because uh, she's like five when she said this, right? It made me wonder if this is kind of intuitive when we look when we look at the world, um, more so than that old man in the sky uh, version of God. Maybe since my five year old can imagine God not as a being but as the being of beings, you know, the essence of all life and being. Maybe we all can, right? And maybe this is a better view of God that comports more with our lived experience. At least I think so. And I think Lucy does too. <laughs> but but I share this story to show us that we all that we all are capable of of reimagining God in ways that work for us. And I think we need to. I think our sacred text, i.e., the Bible, uh, and our our traditions invite us to do this. And so I, I want to open it up for dialogue today. If anybody <clears throat> wants to talk about that, I'm curious. But, you know, how have you reimagined God? Which which gods do you not believe in anymore, and why? Uh, which gods do you which god do you believe in now, um, and why? Anybody want to talk about any of that? Hi, Aaron. Hey, Randy. Hi. I just had a quick thought when I think about a higher power. And I think he even posted this on Facebook. Um, I think that higher power is love, that Jesus was love, God is love, and that higher power is above all through all and in us all. So I ascribe to the teachings of Jesus of love one another, take care of each other, um, let he that greatest among you be servant of all. So, but the doctrines of hell and heaven, and you have to believe a certain way or else just kind of falling by the wayside. And I just try to live those kind of beliefs, if that makes sense. Yeah, man. Makes total sense. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Other thoughts today? How have you reimagined God? Which which gods do you not believe in anymore? Which which God you know, do you believe in now? Why? Um, hey Aaron, it's Emily. Hey Emily. Um, I was just talking to Diana the other day saying like, I'm actually unsure. Like, I know that I don't believe in an all powerful, God, but I don't know what that means in the way of like, 
you know, reading the Bible and praying and stuff. Like I haven't figured that part out yet. Like I just, I don't know now what my relationship is. Um, try, and I'm trying to sort of rebuild that so that I can have some hope because it's just so hard to, to realize that there is no all powerful God and then live with all of the turmoil and stuff that we are dealing with today and always, honestly. So it's like, I'm not sure that I answered the question, but I guess I just, I'm, I'm unsure how to pray, how to, you know, what, like, who am I praying to and what, why am I praying? Like, what is the point of prayer now? If no one's coming, is it just like, Hey, please be with us. You know, like, I don't. So yeah, I'm just, I'm confused. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us feel that way. Thank you for being just so honest and vulnerable about that. Well, it's good to know I'm not alone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe that's part of the purpose of prayer too. At least it is in my mind. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say that too. Yeah. Like, like Aaron said, I think, I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about that topic and Aaron's preached on it a few times, though maybe it's been a little while. Like, what is prayer in, yeah. in deconstruction, et cetera? One of the things uh, that I always find helpful is to remind myself, like, prayer is not to change other people or to change God. It's to change ourselves. And, like, so that usually has helped me recenter. Like, why why do we pray? Who do we pray to? What do these prayers do? And I think, like, many of us, like... I grew up as a kid thinking like, oh, this is like a magic incantation, right? Like I'm going to do this and it's going to be a spell that gets God to give me what I want or to change something. And, and, and now it's more like, no, this is a way for me to remind myself and to focus on something and to meditate on something that I think is important and that I can focus my brain around and send my own, right, focus my own energies on um, and help me sort of recenter uh, on what what is in my heart and like what's on my mind. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that's helpful at all, but we just just wanted to throw that in. We've talked about it a lot in this community, and I know it's something that we all still kind of grapple with. But I personally have found that approach to be helpful. I should talk about it again sometime. We should talk about it again in more in depth sometime. It's definitely it's a complex topic, and there's a lot I like to say about it. There's there's a lot of different positive ways to look at prayer. Um, I think there's a lot of things to deconstruct about the way we were raised to think about prayer, as Max just kind of hinted at, uh, and that I think Emily, you're you're reacting to rightfully. Um, but I still think that um, prayer can still be understood in a lot of different ways that are very helpful and meaningful. But yeah, we can definitely go more into that. Um, yeah. Also, Diana was saying she's not really sure what to do about the Bible because it's like been, that's the only Bible that we have, right? Right. It's the only Bible that they give us. And so it's like, I actually just said the other day, because her and I were talking, like, I want to read it again, Mm. but like, I'm afraid to read it again because when I, when I read it again before thinking like, oh, I'm, you know, married to a woman and, you know, I don't like agree with a lot of these things. It's scary because you're like, oh my God, like, what if? this, these letters are right. And what I think is wrong. And, 
it's the still the rewiring of you know what you were indoctrinated to believe yeah. as a kid and so it's just kind of like you know i i want to just read i want to read the new testament again just to be like okay maybe i see it in a different light but i don't trust with all of the doubts that i have i don't trust that i would read it in a way that would be good for me yet so i'm just you know I don't know. We have talked about this. Like, how do we rebuild from deconstruction? Like, what does that look like? You know, is it just like little blocks on, you know, what is prayer? What like, are we, do we, should I just focus on the little things, the little rituals, or is it like a whole thing or. Yeah. Questions. All all good, all good questions. And sometimes the questions are more interesting than the answers. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, but, and the truth is, I think we all come to the answers, have different answers to those questions, you know, and it's not to say that I have the answers for you or that Max does or anybody does, right? Um, Yeah, and then Max just posted, Rob Bell's What is the Bible and Pete ends How the Bible Actually Works are really helpful. Yeah, that's, those are really good resources. Um, Rachel Held Evans, the late Rachel Held Evans also, um, Think wrote some really great things about how we can look at scripture now and and uh, again you know what works for you what doesn't work for you is kind of up to you um i think a lot of us answer these questions differently yeah pretty much everything from rachel yeah well that's what i put in the chat too there's a book that we read downstairs a lot and uh and it's God through pictures and it's like, God is a shepherd. God is like a star. God is like a gardener. God is, God is like the wind. Right. So I just think it's a really cool way to look at, look at that. And I love that Lucy kind of (laughs) absorbed a little bit of it. Right. You are responsible for this, May. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm responsible for it. I'm just saying that. No, I'm I'm loving that. It's cool that we now have books like that. Yeah. It can explain it in a better way. Um, and I was going to actually ask Emily if she's looked into any new versions. So instead of reading the Bible that you've always read, if you could look at a new translation of it, because I know there's new translations now that are more inclusive that are right. And I, cause I was thinking about doing the same thing and rereading it, but I wanted to read it in a different, um, in a different version than King James or, you know, Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. Well, I can tell you, I can Sorry, may I cut you off? No, no, no. Go ahead. I I would like to know the recommendation. Well, offhand, um, there is a a version, a new version of the New Testament put out called the First Nation version, and it was created by Native American Christian scholars and essentially uh, translates uh, the Greek New Testament into the vernacular of uh, and worldview of uh, Native American indigenous folks. who are, again were, are Christian scholars, but from uh, indigenous populations, and I think that's that's actually a really powerful uh, translation. You can find it. I have the Kindle version myself, um, but there's there's others, but that one is very uh, mystical, and I think because the way that it speaks of God is more of like the Creator or the Great Spirit. It describes God as, um, which I find better. But um, no, but that's just one example. Uh, and Emily, yeah, you're right, mate. Emily is very um, akin to children's books that are highly inclusive and also open-minded about God. Yeah. 
we have a ton of children's books. <laughs> she probably has all the ones that you're thinking of. Other other thoughts today? Good good questions, comments. Hello, uh, my Hello. name is Tara. I'm new here. Welcome. Um, well, thank you. A friend of mine has recommended y'all to me. And she mentioned it was on Zoom today. So I was like, I can check it out. <laughs> Who's your friend, may I ask? Jessica Lynn Champlin. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I've been I've been working with her and my background is Pentecostal Christian. I was so raised. Was mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. Sorry, um, go ahead. No, thank you. Um and I never fit that mold. Um and the idea of um, an all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, and um, jealous, and um, a, a weaponized God, if I can say that, um, never really resonated with me. And I always wondered and felt like God by design, like I, I wonder if it's, I mean, a human conception that we've all created together to try to understand the ununderstandable mm -hmm. and the huge, incredible things in the world and things that um, we have to wrestle with, like death and an afterlife, and even harder things, you know, to try to keep populations of people in line if we. If there is no consequence after we die, then what is it that keeps people on the straight and narrow? What is it that keeps us good to each other? And I think sometimes that, to me, my understanding of God was that it was communities of people from all different cultures all around the world creating together this kind of theology that helps us to um, be better to each other. And... In that way, and I, I, I don't. I mean, I'll never know if it's like true or not, right? But sometimes I think it's like God exists because people believe in God, mm -hmm. and and I'm not sure. So I think like now as an adult, when I feel God in spaces and the gods that I do believe in, um, is community. And the God that I see reflected in people when they're, you know, being the best that they can be and that strive to do something good for the world. That's when I see God. Wow. Well, just thank you so much for sharing all that. I, I, we can tell you've put a lot. I can tell you've put a ton <laughs> of thought and, and just, just like a, yeah, just a ton of thought into that. And, uh, you've got a lot of life experience, I can tell, to back that up. Um, <laughs> no, and it's beautiful. And I think you'll find that, you know, I speaking for myself, but, you know, I don't want to speak for the entire community. Uh, but, you know, you'll find that a lot of people share those views here. And I certainly mm -hmm. am one of them. Um, no, it's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, you know, I, I think I'm definitely a mystic now in, in my faith. And you articulated some of that. Um, and, uh, I think that's a beautiful way to think about God and to do some reconstruction after, you know, we detox from, you know, the God and the religion of our, of our childhood. Um, no, that's, that's really meaningful. Thank you. Thank and you. We, I, I pronounce your name, Tara. Yes, Tara. 
Well, welcome. Yeah. Somebody else. Anybody else want to share? I see a good chat going on about um, some resources here. Starting to rain again over here in Glendale. Support Romans, yes. Who doesn't love Romans? All right. Any? Oh, oh, I was going to say too for the Bible versions, like uh, for I'm so glad the First Nations version came out. Um, though if you're I recommend doing multiple different versions right at this point. And like, cause I, especially when I got to seminary, I was like, wait, which version is the best version. Right. And like, yeah. I have this concept of like, Oh, there's one version that's more accurate than the others. But I would say read a bunch of versions. They have parallel Bibles too, that have like multiple versions. Cause what it does is help you realize the interpretations and the choices made in each of the verses. Right. And that in itself is an as a, it can be a deconstructive act right in saying like wait a second i thought this verse went like burr, 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 burr. and then you see it and you're like oh no so somebody chose to write it like that right and somebody else who's also a biblical scholar chose to write it this way and that actually has a different connotation right and this word is actually translated differently in this version so i would say you know first nations version for sure is a wonderful new text um the common English Bible is sort of closer to like an uh, NIV, but updated. It's it's uh, an international multi-denominational translation. So um, um, there's a lot of good work and, and intentionally trying to uh, translate things in a way that more people can understand. There's always the uh, the famous message translation by the late Eugene Peterson, which intentionally tries to make it more like conversational. Uh, there's a new-ish N.T. Wright translation. Uh, I think it's just of the New Testament. I'm trying to look around for it. I have it somewhere around here. But I think it's called like the kingdom or something. And it's it's more of a narrative form like translation. So if, if you are one of the people that mentioned like, hey, I want to get back into the text and read it again, I would say get a, get a few, like start kind of reading them or you don't have to buy them. We have a bunch of church we can bring in more to. You can find, you know, excerpts online. <clears throat> And I would say read a couple verses and be like, oh, I like this. I like the kind of flow of it and the tone of it, um, because there's never going to be one version that it's like, OK, this is it. This is the way to understand the Bible. And again, I think that's beautiful. Right. I think that in itself is a transformative part of holding on to the parts of our faith of being like, oh, there's lots of different ways to understand this. And this one is more meaningful for me. This other one might be more meaningful for this other person. And that's okay. Like, this is how we come to it. So that's my little translation speech. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Max. No, that's that's really good. And I think it's helpful to remember to, yeah, part of, part of the advantage of reading translations from non-white European, well, it's usually men as well, um, you know, the, the versions that we've been given, the New American Standard, the New Revised Standard, the NIV, 
the King James, certainly, these all were translated by essentially European men. And the European patriarchal worldview, uh, along with, you know, a lot of enlightenment, uh, I won't get all philosophical, but the point is that there's a lot in our translations that basically reflect a very European male-centric post-enlightenment, meaning like scientific age, you know, modern perspective on, frankly, writings that were written by people with a vastly different worldview than us. We really don't understand what they what what they meant by words like faith and and you know how they understood these incredibly rich spiritual philosophical you know ideas about what it meant to be human and the divine and our relationship to the sacred and the holy and what you know, what did all this mean so i think to all that to say it's really helpful to read translations that are not from European sources or even if you can find some written from a feminist, uh, you know, uh, perspective, that's also really good too, um, because the text is, is ancient and, you know, uh, our translations are basically modern European ones. So good stuff. Other thoughts, questions, remarks? Well, why don't we uh, conclude? It's about 11 a.m. This is what I had in mind. Get together for an hour today, you know. Uh, hope everybody stays safe and dry. And and welcome to those of you who are new. Tara, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's, it's nice how we can meet over Zoom on a random Sunday when we're not in person and folks, you know, still are first timers and get to know the community a little bit. I'm always I'm always excited to see that. So thanks for being here. Thanks to all of you who showed up uh, as well. We'll be back in person, but also on Zoom. We're always on Zoom as well. So, you know, if for some reason you can't make it in or just feel like hanging out at home on a Sunday, you can always join us this way. And just, so you know, um, you can always join the discussion from Zoom as well. We can hear you in the sanctuary uh, and you can hear us uh, on your computer. So there's always full interaction there. But um, thanks for being here today, everybody. Um, and uh, we'll just formally dismiss. I won't close the meeting yet. If folks want to hang out and chat, we can do that. Uh, but we're, I guess, officially done uh, with service today. Uh, Max, what, did, what, what were you going to say something? You I was looking for my gavel. Oh, That's your gavel. Yeah. Toy gavel that I used to use in meetings. We're adjourned. I guess, yeah. I guess that's the point. Yeah. But uh, thanks for being everybody. Stay safe. Stay dry. Uh, yeah. Go in peace. Thank you, Aaron. See you next time. All right, Randy. See you next time. Thanks, Aaron. You bet. Good talking to you. Hello. My kids probably stole it. <laughs> oh, you you really do have a gavel. No, I do. It's a little plastic one. And so like it's like boom, boom. I just use it. Hey Sophie, stay dry. Hey, good luck with the flooding, man. Thanks, man. Hope hope you guys stay dry too. Later. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.